One of the features of God's Word that I like best, I guess you could say, is the realness of it, the reality of it. And what I mean is not just that as you read through God's Word, particularly in the Psalms, it becomes clear those people lived in the same sort of world we lived in. They, they hurt, they suffered. Uh, I mean, they, they just experienced the things we re- deal in, we live in, we experience in our lives. But not just that. But God's Word does not gloss over the flaws of those who, who are featured in the book. I mean, you think about the apostles of Jesus, the ones He chose. I mean, they were ordinary, everyday men. Several were uneducated fishermen. One was a tax collector for Rome. One was a revolutionary. One became a traitor. Some had short tempers. They often lacked spiritual understanding. They often lacked humility. They often lacked faith. They often lacked commitment. They often lacked power. They often made bad decisions, particularly in the early days of their service and devotion to Jesus. They often missed the point of what Jesus was trying to to teach them. They lashed out at people who were different than them. They said wrong things. They did wrong things. And at one point, every single one of them abandoned Jesus. These were ordinary men. They came from a variety of backgrounds. They came from a variety of education levels. But what united them was they believed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And even though they were ordinary, flawed men who failed, Jesus worked through them to turn the world upside down. It is no understatement to say the world we live in today is different because of what Jesus did in them and through them and for them throughout their lifetime. Now, these truths, they bring hope and challenge and a challenge to us. They bring hope because if Jesus can work through these ordinary people, these ordinary men to make a difference in the world, then he can work through you and me, despite the fact we're ordinary to make a difference in the world. I find tremendous hope in the fact Jesus uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Jesus uses ordinary people to advance his kingdom and bring glory to his name. That is encouraging because if there is one thing I would say characterizes me, ordinary but it is it is a i am a person who makes bad decisions and says the wrong things and does the wrong things i would love to come up and say that i'm entirely sanctified i haven't sinned since 1994 but that's just simply not the case i am an ordinary person to think that that doesn't hinder me and hold me back that god can still use me to use to accomplish his will in the world It's exciting. There's also a challenge in this. Because if Jesus sent these ordinary men out to serve Him, then it's a pretty fair bet He's going to send we ordinary people out to serve Him. The fact Jesus worked through such ordinary flawed men as the apostles means you and I can't hide behind our ordinariness or our flaws as a reason we can't be active in our service To Jesus. What Jesus did through the ordinary apostles, He intends to do through ordinary you and me in our world today. We're going to see this. Open your Bible. 
uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, hopefully page 766 in a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they were to take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not wear two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that people are to repent. And they were casting out many demons and they were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. The title of the message this morning is Serving Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We are thankful for your word. And what it reveals to us about you. Father, it reveals you are great and glorious. It reveals you are wonderful and awesome. It reveals you are perfect in every way. Father, there is a tremendous amount of hope in that. Because if we could ever get our eyes off of us. And our flaws and our imperfections and and our lack of awesomeness. And on to you and your perfections and your majesty and your glory and your worthiness and your perfections. Oh, how we would live for you without fear of what people may say. Oh, how we would devote ourselves to doing your will, not afraid of people telling us we can't or we shouldn't or who are we to do this. Gosh, we're nobody. But you are the great and awesome God of the Bible and you have saved us. And you have called us and you have empowered us and you have sent us out. Your perfections free us from having to be perfect. You are awesome. And so we don't have to be. We're free to not not hide our imperfections, not hide how ordinary we are, not to try to to be pretentious about how good and spiritual and great we are. We are free to, to be fully us, living in Christ, made sufficient in Him and through Him and for Him. Help us to grab hold of that, O oh God. Free us from the kind of introspection that makes us Filled with a sort of self-loathing and self-pity over our flaws and our failings and our ordinariness. Free us from that and fix our eyes on you. Until we say, as Isaiah did, here I am. Send me to whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. I am yours. And no one can stop me. Fill me today with your spirit, O God. So I can speak your word in your ways for your glory. Give us ears to hear. Hearts to receive. 
and wills to obey. Let us leave this place fully devoted disciples of Jesus who serve Jesus in every area of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus calls the twelve to Himself, pairs them up with battle buddies, sends them out on their first solo mission. Now this is significant as it is their first solo mission. They've never gone by themselves, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But He calls the twelve, pairs them up, gives them a few instructions, and He sends them out. And they all had to go. They were all twelve were sent out. No one got to hang back. No one got to say he didn't know enough to go and do what Jesus wanted him to do. No one got to say that that they weren't qualified to go and do what Jesus wanted them to do. No no one got to say they they weren't quite there yet to go and do what Jesus wanted them to do. Jesus gave them these commands where they were going to have to live by faith and they were going to heal the sick and they were going to cast out demons and they were going to preach the word. And and no one got to say, gosh, Jesus, what a scary task you're giving me. I don't think I can go. They had claimed and they had answered his call to be disciples of Jesus. And now it was time to prove it by going to serve Jesus. Now, a a couple of things that are just a quick clarification. I use the term typically disciples of Jesus. I rarely use the term Christian. Disciples of Jesus is what believers are more commonly called in God's word than Christian. Not that there's anything wrong with Christian. But when I say disciple of Jesus, I'm not referring to a level two Christian. I'm not referring to a higher up Christian. That there's a regular Christian who doesn't serve Jesus and a disciple of Jesus who does serve Jesus. You and I, if we have repented of our sins and we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are believers in Jesus. That makes us Christians. At the same time, we are disciples of Jesus. We are saved to be disciples. There is no such thing as a believer in Jesus who is not also a disciple in Jesus. That is a something that, that the modern church, particularly the modern American church, has created to separate those who are active in service to Jesus and those who just sort of fill the pews and don't be active in their service to Jesus. So when I say disciples of Jesus, I'm talking about every one of us who have repented of our sins, believed in Jesus Christ, and would say, I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus. So disciples of Jesus, we have made our professions of faith as as Christians. We have made our professions of faith as Christians, therefore we are disciples of Jesus And then there comes a time for us to prove it by going out to serve Jesus. What we learn from what we see here, every disciple of Jesus is meant to live a life of service to Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to live a life of service to Jesus. There are, in these few verses, five Truths about serving Jesus we learn. Number one, we serve Jesus. Now up to this point, the twelve have been with Jesus and they've been following Jesus and watching Jesus and listening to Jesus. They haven't really done anything on their own up to this point. 
They have sat at his feet as he taught. They have listened to him teach the multitudes. They've watched him heal the sick and cast out demons. But it's been Jesus. They they walk with him. They talk with him. He does the stuff. And I can imagine that's pretty neat. I mean, that's that's kind of an exciting thing, I would guess. I'm guessing walking with Jesus, listening to him teach these amazing insights, watching him heal the sick, to cast out the demons, to help the people has to be an amazing thing. But now Jesus is telling them, you're going. Right? That they're being sent out on their own. Jesus is not going to, to physically be present with them. He, he's not even going to tell them, hey, go, show the, go, go tell them about me. Go, go heal that sick person. Go cast the demon out of that person. He, he's not going to do any of that. He is simply going to say, you two go that way. 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 And as you go, cast out demons, heal the sick, preach the gospel. Go. And then they're going to come back and they're going to give him the report of what's happened. But they're all sent out. They're all going to go. They're all going to serve Jesus. They're all sent to serve. At this point, they would all go from watching to doing, from sitting to serving. And their service was in large part, it was going to be of their own initiative. Again, he wasn't going to be there to say, serve them, preach the gospel to them, tell them, do this. It was going to be, go. And as you go, look for the opportunities. And as you see the opportunities, take the opportunities. And what happened with them is what should happen with us as well. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to live a life in service to Jesus. None of us are exempted from that. If we are saved by Jesus, we are sent to serve Jesus. Let me show you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, let me stop there. Obviously, this is a passage about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory for our salvation. So this isn't... I'm not talking works. I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. Earn your salvation. Do these good things so that Jesus will love you and put His favor upon you. No, no, no. It's not what we're talking about. Grace of God has saved us. It came as a result of faith and not because we worked and earned it. So we we can't boast. We can't boast in our salvation at, at all. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything for it. We merely heard the gospel. We believed the gospel and Jesus saved us in response. But notice we are his workmanship. So his workmanship means that when he saved us, he, he did a work in us. He created us in a certain way. And we're created in Christ Jesus, which he means by that is saved, for good works. So if you're saved today, you were saved 
to do good works. You weren't saved by your good works. Not ever. But you were saved to do good works for the glory of God. Which He prepared beforehand so that we could walk in Him. So I love this picture. What this means is, when we got saved, and God saved us, we didn't go, God didn't go, oh, gosh, I didn't expect Stacy to get saved. I better, what, what should we get him to do? We need him to do something. It wasn't that way. Before I came into being, before the world was created, God knew I would come into being. God knew I would receive Christ. God knew I would be saved. And so he had a plan. So when I got saved, he just simply put that in me. To go and do the things he wanted me to do. But it's not just me because I'm a pastor. It's you as well. Right? He's not talking about pastors there. He's not talking about missionaries or deacons or Sunday school teachers. He's talking about ordinary, everyday, flawed, failing Christians. Anyone who is saved has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It's not a result of their works, not ever. But... They are saved to do the good works God has already planned for them to do. Now, the good works that God has planned, again, are not always going to be God saying, go here and do that. Go share the gospel with them. Go do this with them. Go do that. It still often is our, we go through life and we see a need and we do what we can to meet that need. Maybe they need the gospel and they need Jesus. And so we meet it. Maybe they need to be prayed for. And so we pray for them. Maybe they have a physical need. And so we help them. But we do it in the name of Jesus. This is what all of us are created in Christ to do. But this isn't even the only place that teaches that. Now, again, we see in Titus here, it's talking about grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Now, I love this because it talks about grace being a teacher. So grace has appeared. So this grace that's not a work and God gets all the glory and not us has appeared and it brings salvation. And, and as we receive this grace, it begins to do a work in our lives. And look at what it does. It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live sensibly, righteously and in a godly manner in this age. So the first two things it does are or I guess you'd say are two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, on the one side, the grace that we receive, it teaches us to deny ourselves of living ungodly and worldly lives. It teaches us to deny our sinful temptations, to not walk according to the flesh. But not only does it, one side does that teach us not to do something, the other side teaches us what we are to do. We're to live sensibly or controlled. Right? Not driven by our passions. We are to live in a righteous way and in a godly manner. And notice, I like this part, in the present age. So the grace of God is teaching us to live this way right now. It's not in heaven we're going to live where we deny ungodliness and worldly lust and we live sensibly, righteously, and godly. No, no, right here, right now, this is how the grace of God teaches us to live. But, but it's not through. The grace of God also causes us to look forward to the coming of Jesus. And so the grace of God gives us a sense of anticipation. We, we know that what we have is just the, the down payment. It's not the, the completion of the work of Christ in our lives. And so we're looking forward to Jesus coming back. 
We're looking forward to the Lord returning. And, and this is this is a, a rabbit trail, but it's free. Um, if we don't look forward to Christ's return, something's not as it should be in our lives. That's the blessed hope. Every disciple of Jesus should look forward and long for Christ to return and set right all that has been made wrong. And if we're afraid of that day, well, something in our heart is not as it should be. So anyway, that's just free, not part of the message today. And we're looking for the coming of Jesus, but notice this last part. Jesus gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Now, this doesn't mean He redeemed us merely from the punishment for the lawless deeds. No, more than that, better than that. He redeemed us from living in lawless deeds. right? He, he redeemed us from the punishment our lawless deeds brought, but even better, He redeemed us from having to live in our lawless deeds. And He, he gave Himself to redeem us from lawless deeds, and as He redeemed us from the deeds, to purify us. To a people of his own possession, or the King James says, a peculiar people. And peculiar people, his own people, it means devoted to him. He redeemed us so that we would be devoted to him. We would be his and his alone. And the result of this is we would be eager for good deeds. It's the same sort of good deeds that it talks about here, that he has prepared for us. Are you eager to serve Jesus? Are, are you eager to serve Him out in the world? We should be. Because the grace of God that brought us salvation instructs us to live this way. And Jesus redeemed us to live this way. The point I'm trying to drive home it's the reminder. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to live a life of service to Jesus. Living a life of service to Jesus is not next level Christianity. It's walk in the door, escape hell Christianity. A life of service to Jesus is the basics of Christianity. If we come to Jesus for salvation and He saves us, we're saved in that moment for good works to be eager to do these good deeds. No disciple of Jesus is exempted from finding ways to serve Jesus. We'll see at the last point there are multiple ways we can serve Jesus. At this point, I just want to say every disciple of Jesus is meant to live a life of service to Jesus. We serve Jesus. Secondly, we serve Jesus in faith. Now look at what Jesus tells them. He instructed them. So they're out and about. And he tells them, basically, take nothing for their journey. And really, I think the picture, I think one of the other, I'm not sure which other gospel it is, one of them basically says it's what they have on them. They're not to take anything except a staff, right? A walking stick. And, and probably to fight off the bandits and the bears and the wild animals. But just a walking staff. No food. 
no bag which would hold the money in their belt. They do get to wear sandals, but they can't take two tunics. They, they can't. Now, you think about it. Okay, so for us, again, we, we have to kind of put ourselves in this world. To say to take no bread and no money. And for us, that wouldn't be, I mean, I don't have to take food to go places because everywhere I go has food. And, and I don't typically have to take money. I've got an iPhone and it has Apple Pay. And through Apple Pay or through Walmart Pay or through Sonic Pay or some, every app has its own kind of pay. I don't even have to have a wallet. I don't have to have a credit card. I don't have to have cash. But what Jesus would tell them in our day is, don't take your iPhone. Don't take your credit cards. Don't take your laptop or your iPad. Don't go pack a backpack of extra clothes. Take what you have and nothing else and go. Right? They are to, to leave at this point. Now, again, there are, there are no stores. I mean, they're, they're, there's not, they're not going to go to the next town and there's a Chick-fil-A. They don't have food, then how are they going to get food? If they don't have something, an extra tunic, an extra tunic, you would carry that to cover yourself up at night when it got dark, when it got cold. So if they don't have something to keep warm at night, if they don't have money and they don't have food, how are they going to survive on this mission? Well, he tells them when you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. So here's what they're to do. I mean, picture this. They're going to walk into town and start trying to talk to people about Jesus and do His will. And as they do, hopefully, somebody in the town will say, Hey, do you have a place to stay? I don't. I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I don't have an extra tunic. And they would say, Come stay with me. And you can eat at my table. And I will give you my food. And you can sleep. I'll give you an extra tunic that we have. And you can stay warm by it. They're to go hoping, believing Jesus will provide for them to open up the hearts of people to provide them that level of hospitality. Now, we do need to understand in that day, that level of hospitality was somewhat expected. It's not like in our day, somebody just knocks at our door, hey, I'm new to town, just wandering around, can I come stay with you? I mean, no, you can't. You're to go somewhere else. We've got a homeless shelter. If you go to the cop, go to the police station. Run a background check on you. If that's okay, we'll put you up in a hotel for overnight. But no, you can't come sleep in my house with my daughters. Weirdo, go on. That's, now, you probably wouldn't act that way. Y'all are probably way more spiritual than I am would be more hospitable. But that's what that would be what would be in my heart, in my mind. But they, that's what they were expected to do. Now, this is all of faith. Jesus didn't even promise that they would have a place to stay. Jesus didn't promise they would be given food. Jesus didn't promise any sort of pay for their mission and what they were doing. He just said, go, take nothing. Trust me, have fun. And they did it. Now, this isn't something a balanced person would do. This is a fanatical type of faith. But really, if you think about it, it's not a fanatical type of faith. It is the basic faith of someone who believes in Jesus and has been sent out to serve Jesus. Living for Jesus will always require us to walk by faith and not by sight 
as we're reminded in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. But what does it look like for us in our day, in our time, to live by faith, serve Jesus in faith? Well, there is probably no limit to what it can mean. Hebrews 11 gives us some of the best characteristics of what it means to live by faith and to serve Jesus in faith. And we won't have time to look at all of Hebrews 11, just a few things. Faith moves us to give Jesus our best. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Now, if you have kids, you know the difference between doing the bare minimum and doing your best. Right? You have told your kids to go clean up their room, and they kicked everything underneath the bed and made the covers really long on that side, and so technically the room was clean, but that was by no means their best. Faith does not lead us to serve Jesus in the bare minimum kind of way. If I believe in Jesus, and I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm living by faith in Jesus, then I will give Him my best in every aspect of my life. I will offer not the bare minimum, but the best I have in all of my life. Faith moves us to give Jesus our best. Faith moves us to serve Jesus when it doesn't necessarily make sense. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, from what we understand, there had not really been rain in the days of Noah. Floods were not a thing. Boats were really not a thing. Where Noah lived was a landlocked sort of place. So, so God told him to build something on an enormous scale, the likes of which he had never seen, to prepare for an event he had never heard of, in order to bring salvation to his family, despite the fact he had no idea what they were being saved from. And what did Noah do? He did it. He did what God told him to do in the way God told him to do it when God told him to do it. Faith moves us to serve Jesus even when it doesn't necessarily make sense. There are always going to be times that our service doesn't make sense. It could be any number of ways. Maybe we think like Moses. You know, Moses was like, God said, go to Pharaoh. He's like, I'm not a good speaker. Nobody's really going to believe me. He began to give all of these excuses. To him, to his mind, it didn't make sense for him to be the one to go. But he was the one chosen. This is what it's going to be for us, part to live by faith and serve Jesus. And faith is to say, maybe it doesn't make sense for me to be the one to do this. It doesn't seem to make sense for me to do this, but that's what Jesus said to do, so I'm going to do it anyway. Faith moves us to follow Jesus without having all the answers. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left not knowing where he was going. Abraham was really a lot like the way the disciples were sent out. God didn't tell him where he was going to lead him. God just said, I'll show you. So go. Go north. Stop. Go, go, go east. Stop. Go north again. I mean, it was just walk by faith. And again, there's going to be times where we don't have all the answers. I mean, again, think about the disciples. 
There, Jesus didn't tell them. And when you go into a town, there's going to be this little old lady there. She's super sweet. Name's Edith. Tell her I sent you and she's going to invite you in. He didn't give them any answers about how they were going to be provided for. Just, just go. Right? And there are going to be times when Jesus sends us and we're going to say, Hey, Lord, if I go, is this going to happen? And the answer we're going to receive is silence. He's not going to give us the answers. Why? Because we're supposed to live and serve in faith. And then faith moves us to be faithful to Jesus. Even if faithful to Jesus means suffering. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ of greater riches and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Living for Jesus, being faithful in our service to Jesus, is not a life free of suffering. I wish it was, but it's just not. Faith leads us to go and do what Jesus wants us to do, when He wants us to do it, the way He wants it done, even if we are certain that is the path of suffering. We believe Him, we trust Him, we do His will. And and there's probably many more. There's a whole lot more from Hebrews 11 we could look at. but, But this gives us an idea of what it means to serve Jesus in faith. Every disciple of Jesus... It's meant to live a life of service to Jesus. And serving Jesus will always require us to live by faith. Thirdly, we serve Jesus knowing responses will vary. Look again at verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony about them. Now, he, he prepared them for the fact you're going to go into town and you're going to do what you do. And some people are going to be like, this is great. Come stay with me. Others are going to say, you're stupid. We hate you. We're not going to listen to you anymore. Get out of our town. And so he says, what you're to do is if they invite you in, stay there. Enjoy their hospitality. Be friends with them. All that good stuff. But if they reject you, Leave. Now, don't stop. It's not about stopping. Well, I went and I tried and they rejected me, so now I'm going home. That's not what it's about. It's about just going somewhere else. So he, he told them, when you go, some are going to receive you, stay there. Some are going to reject you, just leave there, go on to somewhere else and serve them. They couldn't let the fact... Not everyone would receive them, keep them from serving Jesus. Everything about this was to go and keep serving. If they they invite you in, stay there and keep serving. If they kick you out, go somewhere else and keep serving. It would be wonderful if when we devote our lives to follow Jesus and to serve Jesus, everyone was happy for us and loved it. But this is not the reality. We must determine to be faithful to serve Jesus regardless of how anyone in the world or in our lives responds. We're warned about this in multiple places in God's Word. Preachers are specifically told to preach the Word in season and out of season. Now, often what that's been taught by other preachers is, all right, 
Today, Joe's going to bring the message. Joe, come on up here and preach. Be ready in season and out of season. It, that, that's kind of way down the list of what it means, but that's not the main application. Here's what it means. Preachers preach the Word, and if everybody responds and comes to Christ and lives for Jesus, you keep preaching the Word. And if everyone rejects it and hates you, you keep preaching the Word. And if everyone just ignores you and does their own thing, you keep preaching the Word. In season and out of season refers to fruit bearing. You keep preaching whether there's any visible fruit or not. That's what Paul tells the preachers. But Paul has another picture. And I think it's probably the, the, the most powerful picture of this we see in God's Word. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of Him in every place. I, I like this, right? As we serve Jesus, it releases a fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere we go. There's a lot of this passage I don't have time to get into, uh, but study it. Oh, it's awesome. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God. So, I mean, just think about this. If you're active in service to Jesus, you are the fragrance of Christ to God. Among those who are saved and among those who are perishing. So everywhere we go, if we are serving Jesus, we, we release a smell, a fragrance. And it's the fragrance of Christ. And, and it's the same fragrance to those who are saved and those who are lost. But notice there's a difference in how people respond. To one, an aroma of death to death. And to the other... An aroma from life to life. Who is adequate for these things? Everybody responds to our service to Jesus. We release a fragrance and they respond in a way to it. But they respond in different ways. And we have to serve Jesus with eyes wide open to the fact people will respond in different ways. Now, based off of this, I would say there are... It says two, but I'm going to give a third. Three ways people respond. One is anger. Sad fact. Some people are going to get angry because we determined to serve Jesus. They'll be angered by the fact we're dedicating ourselves to serving Jesus. They might even be angered if, we, if our service to Jesus leads us to serve them in some way. That might even anger them. Who do we think we are? To pray for them or to try to help them or to share the gospel with them. Our service to them in the name of Jesus may well anger them. But they're angered by our service to Christ one way or another. This is what Paul means by the aroma of death. But then some will love it. Some will appreciate it. Some will see us get on fire for Jesus and begin to devote our lives to Jesus. And it will excite them. They will be happy for us. They will rejoice in the Lord because of it. And if our service to Jesus leads us to serve them, man, they're going to think that is wonderful. Whether we visit them, whether we pray for them, whether we help them in the time of need or share an encouraging word with them. They're going to be glad for our service to Jesus. This is what Paul means by the aroma of life. Then there's a third way which Paul doesn't mention. And so, but I think it's still a way. And, and I'll say it this way. 
simply because people didn't typically respond with apathy in Paul's day. But people often respond to apathy in our day. You serve Jesus? Okay. Good for you. I'm glad you have that. Oh, your, 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 your service to Jesus leads you to pray for me? Okay. I mean, I don't really believe in prayer, but I'm not offended. Okay. You want to talk to me about the gospel? Okay. Yeah, sure. No, I don't believe it. I mean, they're just, they just don't care. They're not mad. They're not glad. They just simply don't care. One thing I just kind of want to point out from Paul's analogy there. And this is important for us to understand. Because when people respond with rejection or anger, we tend to think, what, what about me makes it that way? But notice, Paul's point is, their rejection doesn't say anything about us. It says something about them. Right? It's the, the fragrance is diffused among the saved and the lost. And to one, it's death. And to another, it's life. People who get angry at our devotion and service to Jesus... It says something. That doesn't say anything about us and our service to Jesus, but it says everything about their spiritual life and their hearts. They're perishing. That's why it releases the fragrance of death to them. Also, I would say to us as individuals, how we respond to people when they devote their lives to Jesus is a revealing about us as well. If we don't respond with joy and happiness, make no mistake, that says something about our hearts. People will respond in different ways, but we're to serve Jesus anyway. Think about the parable of the soils. The sower sows the word. And he does this knowing some of the seed is going to fall on hard ground and it's not going to do any good at all. Some's going to fall on shallow soil. It'll spring up for a while, but then it's not going to last. Some will fall among thorns and it'll spring up for a while, but then they'll just get too busy with life and they'll fall away as well. And then some will fall on good soil, produce an abundant harvest. That's a great model for how we serve Jesus. We just serve Jesus. We serve others in the name of Jesus, knowing everybody responds in a different way, but that doesn't say anything about me. I'm just going to do what Jesus wants me to do. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to live a life of service to Jesus. And we must serve Jesus, knowing the responses to our service will vary from person to person. Fourthly, we serve Jesus through the Word. As they went out, they preached that people are to repent. Preached the Gospel. They called people to repent of their sins. This is what Jesus taught them to do. This is what they had seen Jesus do. We too are, are meant to serve Jesus through the Word. All of us. Now, how we serve Jesus through the Word is going to vary. Not everybody is going to be called to preach a sermon or teach a class. But we're all, as disciples of Jesus, we're called to be students of the Word, to be disciplined, hard workers in relation to the Word, so that as people come to us for help, and they have questions, we can give them answers. I mean, this is how we serve the Word. And again, this is all of us. Every one of us should be able to, to answer questions people have or know how to find the questions. 
find the answers. Now, this doesn't mean we have to be able to answer every single question. It's just way out there. number of there are. But we should know how to find it. We should have be able to give basic answers. Why do I need Jesus? What is sin? How can I be saved? What does it mean to repent? Where does the Bible say these things? Is Jesus the only way? Is there a life after death? Every disciple of Jesus should be able to not just mouth the words, but point to God's Word as to where those answers are. And the answers we give, they must come from God's Word. God's Word has been given to us to answer these kind of questions, in part. To answer these kind of questions. To to teach people what's right. To rebuke them. To say that's not right. This That's wrong. To show them here's what's right. To train in righteousness. right? And, and all of us should be able to help people in this way. If we have been saved more than a day or two. More than a week or two. We should be able to give biblical answers. To questions people have. And it's important that we give biblical answers. Because not every everything someone says in, in order to help or encourage people is accurate. Our culture kind of sanctifies. In the Christian culture, we sanctify a lot of bad, ungodly advice. I mean, God helps those who help themselves. I've heard that a, a lot. Do you know that's not in the Bible? God doesn't help those who help themselves. In fact, our saying, I'm going to help myself, often keeps us from God. The Apostle Paul said he would rejoice in his weakness. For then in his weakness he was made strong. So if someone's got an issue and we say, well, God helps those who help themselves, we may actually keep them from Jesus. God help us. Or follow your heart. That's not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And that a person who trusts their own heart is a fool. So if someone comes to us for advice and we say, trust your heart, we're saying, trust the wicked part of you. Be a fool. I'm sure that will go well for them. God just wants you to be happy. Do what makes you happy. That's that's not in the Bible. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Sin makes people happy. It does. It also damns them to hell if they reject Jesus and keep in their sin. So we have to know the Bible so we can give Bible answers. There are loads of other common sayings that have been sanctified by probably nominal Christianity. To encourage and help people that are not, not only are they not biblical, they're they're wrong. They're just damnably wrong. They doom people. One of the ways we serve Jesus is through the word. We are people of the book. We, We must always be people of the book. And many times they come to us because they know we're Christians. They know we go to church and they want a Bible answer. So let's know the Bible. And let's give them a Bible answer. 
Every disciple of Jesus is meant to serve Jesus, live a life of service to Jesus. And this means we serve Jesus through the word. And then finally, we serve Jesus however they can, however we can. They went out and they preached to people to repent. They cast out demons. They anointed the sick with oil and and healed them. I don't want us to focus as much on the specific actions they did. By all means, if you can cast out demons and heal the sick, I believe you absolutely should do those things. But just because we can't do those things doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. Kind of what we see is they went out and they just did all manner of things that they could. And again, Jesus was not there to tell them, do this or do that. They had to see the need and then do what they could to meet that need. This is how we're supposed to live. This is what we're supposed to do. There are so many ways we can serve Jesus. We can pray and be an an intercessor. Intercessors labor in prayer fervently for others. Right. So this isn't praying for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not an intercessor does not pray for themselves. They they intercede on behalf of others. They spend extra time in prayer. So maybe you be an intercessor and you pray extra for the church, for the community, for the lost, for our country, for missionaries or unreached nations or the needs are endless. I knew about a guy, I read about a guy who he got the paper. And he turned to the obituaries and he prayed for the families every day. He prayed for the hurting and the suffering families. The number of ways we can intercede for others is numerous. There's just no need. There's no end of needs that we can lift up. And anybody can do that. We can visit the sick or the shut in. There are almost always people from our church and likely people in your specific neighborhood who are sick. Or for one reason or another can't get out. We can serve Jesus by visiting them. And here's what I say, I promise you. I'll say for the nursing home for sure. They do not have the family visitors you might think they would. Just because their family lives in Guyman and Hooker and Goodwell and Liberal does not mean they go to visit them on a regular basis. And they love for people to come by to show they care and visit. You want to serve Jesus, you find out who's sick or shut in or in the nursing home. And you go see them. See and meet physical needs. There are always people around us who have physical needs they cannot meet. They range from financial needs to free labor around the house to who knows what else. But we can serve Jesus by seeing and meeting those physical needs. But we can also see and meet spiritual needs. People around us have deep spiritual needs. Some are enslaved to sin. Some are deceived by Satan. Some are beat down by the cares of life. And we can serve Jesus by seeing those needs and doing what we can to meet those needs in His name. And then we can find and use our spiritual gifts. Every born-again believer is given at least one spiritual gift the moment they're saved. Jesus gives us these gifts to use for His glory, to advance His kingdom, to build up His church in the world. What's your spiritual gift? What's at least one spiritual gift Jesus has given you? How are you using it?
to build up His church, to advance His kingdom, to reach people for His glory. We all have spiritual gifts. We're all meant to use those spiritual gifts. We can serve Jesus by finding and using our spiritual gifts. Years ago, I, I read an email circulating about how various social ills in our world that are commonplace now were once considered wrong. And it talked about how did we get to this place. Throughout the email, one phrase was repeated over and over again. It said, me? I go to church. The preacher preaches. And I go home. That's what Christians do now. Fortunately, there's a lot of truth in this. This is often especially true when it comes to finding ways to serve Jesus. We know in the back of our minds, we know we, we should be more active in our service to Jesus. We, we think, we say to ourselves, well, if someone else would start something, we would join with them. But we're not going to take the initiative and do anything ourself. What do we do? Well, we come to church, preacher preaches, and we go home. So that's what Christians do now. Let's be sure it cannot be said of us. We go to church, the preacher preaches, and we go home because that's what Christians do now. Let's be sure we are disciples of Jesus who understand we are meant to live lives in service to Jesus. And as we serve Jesus, He works in us and through us and for us and enables us to make a difference in the world around us. Our limitations do not limit Jesus. Our ordinariness does not limit Jesus. Our flaws do not limit Jesus. Our struggles with sin do not limit Jesus. Jesus is, is legitimately only limited in our lives when we refuse to do what He wants us to do. Are you active in your service to Jesus? If not, are you ready to begin a life of service to Jesus? Now, it begins, of course, with coming to Jesus and being saved. It begins by repenting of our sins, believing in Jesus, determining to follow Jesus. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. Repenting says, Jesus is right about my sin and I'm wrong. My sin is not okay. My sin is a big deal. It does separate me from Him. It will condemn me to hell if I don't turn from it. And that, that change of mind leads us to, to legitimately turn from the sin to Jesus. Think of it as, as doing a 180. You're walking in sin. You realize this is the path to hell. And this isn't right. I, I, I want Jesus. And we turn and we do so believing that what Jesus did for us on the cross is the only hope for salvation we have. It's not by our good works. It's not by the fact we turned our lives around. It's not by the fact we cleaned ourselves up. It's, it's because Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And those who repent and those who believe, they make a determination to begin to follow Jesus. This is where everything has to begin for everyone. It's an individual and a personal decision. Nobody can make that decision for you. My parents 
desperately wanted me to be saved as far back as I can remember, but they did not save me. They could not make the decision for me. It was my decision. It's your decision. You must choose Jesus on your own. If you have chosen Jesus, you have repented, you have believed, you have determined to follow Jesus, but you're just not quite active in serving Jesus. We're going to have a time of response. Spend that time praying as Isaiah did. Here I am, Lord. Send me. All he needs, all he really wants even, is for us to be available to him to do whatever it is he would want us to do. Are you available to Jesus today? Let's stand.